Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It's not over yet because Hamilton gets another slipstream all the way down the old pit straight into Cop's corner. These are critical corners for this Grand Prix. Hamilton's going to try again, this time on the inside, a continent touch! Verstappen is out of the race and that's a big crash into Cop's! Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen coming together, Hamilton continues on, Charles Leclerc now leads the British Grand Prix, but for the second time this season, Hamilton and Verstappen clash and tangle on the opening lap, but this time it is ending in dramatic consequences. And we just wonder whether that's what's the top of mind of both Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton coming to this weekend's British Grand Prix at Silverstone to give us all the oil. We'd like to call him our guru of Formula One, Chris Medlin, who has been to every Grand Prix, we understand, uh, every Grand Prix since 2014. And he joins us now. It's nine o'clock in the morning in the UK. Uh, Morning to you, Chris. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're good, mate. So, is this top of mind at all for either of those two drivers? To be honest, I don't really think so. I think they'll both get questions about it, um, just being 12 months on. And there's definitely a little bit of a hangover from the Red Bull perspective. Christian Horner said after the last race in Canada that they have kind of unfinished business at Silverstone because of what happened last year. But I think with Max... He's in a totally different mindset, kind of comfortably leading the championship this year. So he's very good at, at kind of putting the path behind him anyway. And he, he just is very calm about all these sorts of things. And it, it doesn't seem to bother him. Um, so he'll probably get annoyed at a few questions and then be like, I'm just here to win another race and, and fight Ferrari for the title. Uh, for Lewis, he might get asked about it a little. But uh, the context of that crash has kind of moved on with some of the uh, comments from Nelson Piquet that came out this last week that meant <laughs> Lewis has been facing more questions about racism and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a different storylines around that sort of topic. Hey, Chris, uh, Greg Movie here, mate. Uh, so great to have you on the show. Thanks for your time. Um, I, we could probably talk to you and ask questions uh, for hours because it, there's just so much going on in Formula One. We've seen such a rise of the sport worldwide. Um, we could talk about the new races in America that are, are taking place and, and just the evolution of the sport around the place. We could talk about porpoising. We could talk about so much. It's, it's, it's intriguing at the moment. I mean, um, it doesn't, and this is no disrespect to you whatsoever, but it, it, it just seems that you guys have got so much going on and, and so much to talk about on such a constant basis. There's just no shortage of, of news, is there, in Formula One? No, not at all. I tell you, trying to trying to take a day off uh, is pretty impossible in this job. But um, I suppose we shouldn't be like complaining about that. Should be grateful for the the amount of work that there is. So um, yeah, there's just always something. There's always a storyline going on. I mean, even this morning um, in the UK, Bernie Eccleston's been on um, breakfast TV and saying silly things about Vladimir Putin, which means Formula One's having to come out and rebuff those as not their views. And that there's just there's always someone willing to say something or do something somewhere. And then with so many races. Like pretty much every week now, um, the sporting storyline moves on quickly too. So um, it's a pretty exciting time actually to be involved in it. You know, some of the headlines are, are more headaches than uh, things that put a smile on your face, but most of them are, um, are just great that people are interested and wanting to know more about the sport. 
So let's let's um let's talk about these twenty twenty two cars. Um, uh, your thoughts, your thoughts on how how it's played out on the on the new car, um, how it's actually it's changed things. Obviously, changed things a lot with respect to you know Mercedes at the moment. They seem hopefully are are, are on the up, but tell us what you think of the cars and and how you know how good F one have 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 made them um, with the new generation. Yeah, it was, it was a big change trying to make sure that the cars were still roughly as quick as the predecessors and still, you know, some of the fastest cars you can drive in the world um, and race with, but trying to make it easier to fight each other and, and follow closely because just the nature of aerodynamics made it very tough for one car to follow another in the past. So it was a big, big attempt, you know, a, a big challenge to try and pull that off. Uh, and I think they've done a pretty good job of it. I mean, we've seen better, closer racing this year in terms of cars being able to follow each other and put pressure on each other all the time. Just the last race in Canada, Carlos Sainz was right under the rear wing of Max Verstappen for the final 16, 17 laps. He didn't have to back off or cool his tyres or lose performance in that way. So even though he didn't get passed, it was still good, like exciting to watch. Uh, And that's what they've tried to do. They didn't want everyone overtaking all the time because that kind of gets easy and then everyone just falls into pace order and finishes the race. You want it that they can battle each other and you get a few corners of fighting and things like that, which we've had at different times. I mean, George Russell in the Mercedes at Barcelona, the last track that really suited Mercedes, had a great scrap with Max Verstappen um, that was awesome to watch as well. So I think they've done a good job. There's still things they can improve. As you mentioned, porpoising a bit earlier, basically when the car bounces up and down, when it's at high speed because of the aerodynamics, they need to solve a few little issues like that that just aren't quite what was intended. Uh, but this is the first year of these new cars and new rules, and you, you tend to then learn from that and improve things. Uh, and I think they will do that moving forward and just eradicate some of those issues. So I think it's a really good starting point. I think we've seen Ferrari and Red Bull very closely matched, which is good, but Ferrari just haven't always been reliable or able to pull off the right strategy to, to win races that they probably should have, which is why Red Bull had a comfortable lead. But we'd have another very competitive season if it wasn't for that. And as you say, Mercedes... This weekend, I think at Silverstone will be very good. Um, might be in the mix with those top two. And if not, it still does feel like a matter of time where eventually it clicks and they're, they're winning a few races at least. So, um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a nice, uh, nicely set up grid at the moment where we've got some, some closely matched teams and some good racing with these cars. Hi, Chris. Uh, Tom Alexander. Uh, just talk, going up about the porpoising and obviously Mercedes. Uh, Toto Wolf came out earlier in the week and uh, said about they think they've got the porpoising under control. And after Silverstone being quite a kind of smooth track with fast flowing corners, do you think that they are a real shot to be in the mix this weekend? Yeah, I do. I think it's. I wouldn't expect them to be winning the race or the quickest team by any stretch, but they've been quite a way off Ferrari and Red Bull at times this year and, and kind of in no man's land in the third quickest team kind of window. If anything, at some races, they've been kind of under pressure from some of the other midfield teams, but um, Barcelona is like the most recent similar track that we've raced at that's got some high-speed corners and is smoother, uh, and they were much more competitive there. And that's where they introduced an upgrade that they think fixed the porpoising issue. The problem they've had since is just on street circuits and bumpy circuits, their car's very stiff and running very low to try and get it to work, and that's just created other issues. So they've been uncompetitive for a few weeks where the track hasn't suited them, but moving back to Silverstone, I expect to see the games they made in Spain kind of play out a bit more. They've got some more upgrades that are coming. So I think we're likely to see them much closer, kind of nipping at the heels of Red Bull and Ferrari, which will be exciting to see. Whether they're quick enough to win the race, I think still a bit of a TBC, but um, I mean, Mercedes have been so dominant for so long, you kind of expect them at some stage to get it right. And I think if the car is 
in the ballpark where they can fight with Ferrari and Red Bull, then they will take advantage of that because this is a team that's used to winning races. So, um, yeah, it's quite exciting. That's probably one of the more exciting storylines of the weekend, actually, is to see just how good they are. Um, and the fingers across that they're, they're right on the same level as the top two teams. Chris, you can understand from our perspective that McLaren, because of our connection to it, is, is always one of interest to watch. But where are they getting it so wrong this year? Um, well, it's a bit of a strange one with McLaren because they looked terrible at the first race in Bahrain. And it was partly because of a lack of testing and they just hadn't worked their car out yet. And then they made very quick progress and have got themselves up to fourth in the championship, which is you know, almost as good as they probably could have hoped for um, coming into this season. But then there's other races that they're just nowhere again. And I think part of it is still Daniel Ricciardo's struggles. Um, because he's not always comfortable with the car, it means that one weekend to the next, you've, you've sometimes only got one car that's really competitive, and other times you have both cars, and other times you kind of have neither. Uh, and I think the, the lack of both drivers performing at their best means that they don't always take full advantage of their opportunities. Um, Lando Norris has largely been driving very well, but they just had a number of procedural issues and a few reliability issues in Canada at the last race, and it meant they didn't score a point. Um, I think, realistically, they just don't have enough downforce on their car. They just don't have a outright raw pace quick enough car but the rest is roughly working um, when the car is reliable which has been most races but uh, just not the last one um, then they're picking up some points with Norris you know he, he gets the most out of it even if it's not that easy to drive um, and the team has become quite efficient at the way they kind of uh, tackle race weekends and pick up the points in the past few years so um, that side of things is working quite well I think it is as simple as trying to get more performance out of the raw performance out of the car itself putting more downforce on it, um, basically better aerodynamic performance. And there's a slight knock-on that I should add, is that the Mercedes power unit is it's still good, but it's not the kind of standard it was where it was the, the best on the grid. Um, and the fact that Mercedes themselves are struggling kind of shows that as well. So no Mercedes-powered team is having an incredible season. I think you know, there's a common denominator there that maybe they just lack a bit of performance on the engine front too. Mm. Um, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to start this next uh, question statement by saying I think this guy is, is obviously an incredible race car driver, if not the, one of the best or the best we've ever seen. But Lewis Hamilton, um, can we just delve into, and I'd love to, I want to know your thoughts, obviously, but um, this year has been challenging, to say the least. And we see, you know, statements that are made. We see Toto you know, apologising to Lewis. This, you know, we know the car is undrivable, Lewis. You know, we're going to do better, Lewis. You know, you've just got to hang in there with us. And he's down and out. And he's, you know, he's, it's, it's the end of the world. And, oh, you know, the this, this season's over. My championship's done for the year. And while George Russell, let's just say, is finishing in the top five in every race and on the podium and getting on with the job, and then the porpoising, oh, my back, I'm in so much pain, I can't get out of the car, it's terrible, blah, 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 blah. George Russell's on the podium again or whatever at the same time. Tell me, I mean, what's going on? I mean, Lewis, is, he's, is he a drama? Is he a drama queen? Seriously? I mean, he's brilliant, but when it's not going his way, Chris, it, it really starts to come about poor me. That's the way it comes across in the media. Yeah, I think the thing with Lewis is he's very honest with his emotions, very open with them. Um, at some are they real? Are they real hard to understand. all the well, time? I was going to say, yes, they are. Yeah, they are, but sometimes they're hard to understand in the sense of you'd expect him to be happy with a certain result and he's really down about mm. something. Um, or you'd expect him to be just like only okay with something 
like third place in Canada last time out, and he's absolutely delighted as if he's just won the world championship. He, he kind of, he has a very, um, I guess, a unique personal view on certain things, and he doesn't mind showing that and letting people know that. But that does mean sometimes you're caught, caught aback a bit by going, oh, I didn't expect that reaction from you to this. Um, it has been legitimate. I mean, the car has been pretty terrible to drive at times for Mercedes and very uncomfortable to drive. And George has said the same. He just isn't, hasn't been coming out in the, uh, straight after a race and saying it in the same way. But similarly, people flock more towards Lewis than they do George for an opinion because of his history and his success. And his, um, his opinion kind of carries up a bit more weight given what he's been through with that team before. Um, and the way Mercedes have run the car this year, with George being the new driver, they've kind of put their uh, faith in Lewis as the experienced guy to run certain experiments and kind of, you know, he knows the team better, he knows the cars better, you know, he's been there for so long that they've gone, right, okay, like we're going to try this random setup on your car, Lewis, to see how that works. And George is going down a more um, usual path at times. And that's helped smooth the weekends for George a little bit, um, as opposed to Lewis. Not every time, but sometimes. Uh, and then there's been other occasions where just, you know, the the luck hasn't been on Lewis's side. I think Mercedes have been a bit OTT at then trying to make sure everyone's aware of it. I think there's a lot of people that work within the sport that are that are very aware. It's you know, it's normally something that's easy to see when, you know, a safety car's been badly timed. But Mercedes have, have been really, really keen to make sure everyone has seen it and knows why Lewis's race isn't or final result isn't as good as George's or something like that. And I don't think Lewis actually needs that. You know, with the success he's had like he's a big boy he can take it he can explain it himself um but yeah there's there's aspects there where i think the team have been overly careful at trying not to upset him or keep him happy but don't forget the team is not performing like this is a guy who is the most successful driver ever he's used to fighting for championships that's why he drives for mercedes you know it's, it's why he went there it's why he's committed his future to that team and the team's not holding up its end of the bargain it's not giving him a race winning car and he's watching max verstappen who he had a great fight with last year walk away into the distance so I think there's a bit of that as well where it must be massively frustrating for him but the team is wary that actually our our huge name driver who brings so much marketing appeal so much more on top of just being a brilliant driver could become unhappy disillusioned and we have to do everything we can to try and make sure he is happy um, to make sure that he sticks with us during this tougher time. Uh, Chris you mentioned before about Ferrari's reliability issues do you is there talks that they have solved those or obviously two cars finish in Canada? Um, do you think they're really on top of those issues or are they likely to come back? Uh, I'll admit, I'm never confident in Ferrari and solving their issues uh, <laughs> as a team. There, there's, it's the hope that kills you with that team because at times they look great and then they make a strategic error that you just can't believe they've made like they did in Monaco. I mean, how they didn't win a race um, with a 1-2 the starting position in Monaco where you can't really overtake is it's still beyond me. But um, yeah, the the reliability issues have been like looked at. A few issues have been identified, and they've got short term fixes in. They're working on longer term ones, but every team still has problems. Um, so I, I certainly don't think it will be the last ones we see from Ferrari. But similarly, Red Bull retired from a lot of races at the start of the season. Sergio Perez retired from the last race in Canada. Um, there are still issues there for for everybody. So um, I imagine Ferrari have still got a few to face. But what's quite good from their perspective is they took a penalty with Charles Leclerc at the last race because they'd had uh, an engine that had been destroyed, essentially, with the problem they'd had. So he needed to take a new one that exceeded the limits they're allowed, took a grid penalty, started from the back, came through to finish fifth, which is a really good drive. But it means he's got a fresher engine this weekend than any of his rivals has and, and will have for the next few races. And he doesn't have a penalty to take this weekend. So it should be uh, a couple of weeks where Ferrari actually are in a 
a pretty strong position to kind of attack and try and get a few wins back. The, the one thing about these 2022 cars, we're seeing probably a greater battle in the middle of the field as well. But down the back end, there's one driver I love, and and you you wrote an article about it this weekend about uh, Williams and Alex Albon's the only one getting an upgrade, and they and you suggested that they are following the same design philosophy as Red Bull. Do you think it makes a difference? Uh, yeah, a little. I think what a lot of the teams will have done this year is certainly the midfield teams and the ones near the back who just don't really have the resource to chase every single direction of uh, car development and design. They will have gone with their own ideas at the start of the year when they've built these cars, but they kind of left themselves open to be able to react to what everyone else did. Because they were brand new cars, there was always going to be things that people hadn't seen or hadn't thought of. Now, Mercedes went for essentially no side pods on the car that look a bit weird the way they've laid it out and it and it's not worked brilliantly for them but it was a very innovative idea but every other team would have looked at that and thought oh that's interesting how does that work done some simulations but also seen how mercedes performed and gone probably not one that we want to pursue red bull on the other hand have got a a very aggressive kind of uh, design aerodynamic philosophy that others will have also been looking at and gone okay that's working for them they're winning races they're at the front um you know they're normally quite good on their tires all these little details so they then analyze it a bit more and it won't have been you know it's not a copy paste sort of situation it's just that their own concepts that they'll have been looking at they'll have then had validated by other teams that are doing well with that concept so Williams were one of those teams that would have had this kind of in the pipeline and been working out whether to push the button on actually building the parts and putting it on their car or not because they're limited by budget cap so you can't just do everything and find out what works you need to be quite selective with your development uh, and they were targeting this race as one that needs good aerodynamic performance the team's home race too so easy to get the parts to the track um, so yeah they developed the parts and, and got them ready so we'll see how, how that goes it's, it's just a coincidence that Albon being a Red Bull back driver is going to be in a car that's a little bit more like a Red Bull this weekend <laughs> but that's that's just teams kind of looking at what works and trying to copy it as best they can I just want to talk Hess for a second, Chris. Um, obviously, there's been a few incidents for young Mick this, this season, and they, they mentioned a few weeks ago that they already spent their um, crash budget. Do you see that affecting the team in the races to come? Uh, I don't know if it will, but I hope not in the races to come. Maybe in the sense that Mick, a few times in qualifying or in race situations, will be a little bit more cautious just to make sure he doesn't have another big incident. I mean, at the last race, it was the car that let him down, so he retired from uh, Canada with an engine problem. But, yeah, two races before that in Monaco, he had a big crash during during the kind of in the wet during the race. Um, and, he, yeah, he's had a few uh, nasty ones this season that have been very, very expensive for the team. But the main thing the team say is it's that they don't have the actual hard cash to just keep absorbing these. It's, it's not that they're out of space in the budget cap. So, essentially, if they can find the money from a new sponsor or, uh, if the owner, Gene Haas, wants to put a bit more in, whatever, then they can kind of cover that. And I think the car is competitive. Kevin Magnussen's doing a really good job, scored some big points at the start of the year. So I think if they hit trouble where they were suddenly like, oh, we're, we're going to run out of money here to keep repairing this car, then they actually there are places they can go to maybe ask for a bit more or try and find a bit more. Uh, in a weird way, it'd be a bigger problem if they'd spent all the money in the budget cap and then we're having these issues because it, you're not allowed to spend any more and then they get penalised. So... Um, yeah, there's wiggle room. They, you know, we're talking. They just have to find a few million dollars. It's easy, right? It's somewhere down the back of the sofa. Hey, hey, just, just, just quickly. How long does Mick Schumacher survive in Haas if he doesn't get it going on a name alone, or, or is he genuinely a good enough driver to be in F1? 
So I'd say he is good enough to be an F1. I mean, he won the F2 championship a couple of years ago. And let's be honest, last year's Haas was an absolute dog of a car. He had no chance of doing anything in that and, and showing any real potential in that car. Um, and it's kind of like a reset this year with brand new rules, uh, totally different cars and Haas being competitive for once. He does need to start getting results, though. He does need to start turning the potential where it looks like he might score into actually scoring points because he still hasn't scored a top 10 finish in his career. Uh, which we can only really judge on this season so far, but still, he, he does need to get it done, especially when you look at the fact that Kevin Magnussen's had a fifth place this year, so the, car's, the car is quick. Um, because he's Ferrari-backed, it depends if Ferrari are happy with certain things he's developing, whether it's his technical knowledge, whether it's his feedback. If they think he's improving still, then it's kind of on Ferrari to say, yeah, we want to keep him in there because of their partnership with Haas. So um, Haas generally have to run one Ferrari-backed driver in one of their two seats. Now, if Mick keeps crashing and keeps performing badly, I think there's an argument for them to turn around and be like, give us someone else or let us choose someone else in that seat, um, which they were able to do after their first year. But I think for now, if, if Mick just continues to improve from this point, then um, he might well still be at half next year to keep developing because it has been a trait of his, to be fair, in his junior career. It's normally his second mm. season and the second half of it in a category where he really comes on. So. He does need to do that again. Uh, if he if he keeps performing like he is right now, mm. um, then this might be his, his final year if Ferrari decide, actually, look, this, there's no future for you at Ferrari, so why are we going to keep funding your career in another team? It's going to be uh, harsh to see the name disappear from Formula 1. Um, hey, quickly, uh, unless I've, maybe I've been living under a rock in the last uh, couple of weeks, or maybe not, I'm not sure, but Oscar Piastri, um, is he... What's happened with him and the links with Williams? Is that has that been announced? Have I missed that or not? No, uh, no. I think sadly, I don't think we'll see Oscar racing for Williams this year. Uh, I think he'll still be uh-huh. doing his training as such um, with Alpine to be ready for next season. I've, from what I've heard, doing a bit of digging in at the last race a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah, there was talk. They looked at moving him into the Williams seat, which would have meant getting rid of Nicholas Latifi. But Latifi and his family, his father specifically had invested a lot in Williams when the team was really struggling, really helped it through a tough time. So it wouldn't be the nicest payback to be binning a driver off mid-season. But also, the contract's tight enough that Williams would have to pay a lot of money to get rid of Latifi. <laughs> and yeah. where, where the car is right now, it is the slowest car, it's not really worth it. You're not going to, you know, even if Oscar comes in and is two or three chances quicker than Latifi, he's still going to be finishing 13th, 14th in races just because of how competitive the car is or isn't. So that's not really making much of a difference to Williams this season. They're not going to finish any higher yeah. in the championship. It doesn't really help Oscar to go in mid-season against a good established driver like Alex Albon, learn a whole new team in a difficult car. It's more likely to hurt his reputation and help it because even if he does a really good job, as I just mentioned, that's 13th or 14th. You know, People aren't going to get massively excited by it. So it's better waiting a year. Hopefully either Williams are more competitive and he gets that seat next season, which is looking more likely than not. Or he goes into the Alpine, which I think some people within Alpine would like, but Fernando Alonso has an option on his contract, which it sounds like he can take up. So if Alonso activates that, then he gets to stay for another year. But um, I think we'll see Oscar in either the Alpine or the Williams next season. That's what we're a little bit excited about down this part of the world. Hey, uh, it's your home Grand Prix. Just quickly, do you get excited every time the British Grand Prix comes around? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, admittedly, with so many races, they just come thick and fast and you kind of focus on each one as you, as you finally get to them. But um, it's part of a good British summer of sport. And, um, you know, we just had Glastonbury Festival last week and it, it just kind of it all builds to some of these big events right now. We're going to have 400,000 people awesome. here over the weekend. It's always cool to see 
the I guess the backing for F1 uh, in the UK yeah. because sometimes you forget about it. You, you don't always get to see it uh, played out. It's the one time a year that you do see the huge numbers turn out. So um, yeah, very cool, very busy, but um, a good one and a great track. But yeah, it's it's now it's just one of many standout races. I mean, Australia this year was incredible down in Melbourne with the crowd we had there. Uh, Austin's been massive. Miami was huge. Um, we're going to have so many big races, and I think it's just a testament to where F1's at right now. That it's popular globally, and it's it's really exciting. Well, mate, congratulations for being a part of it for so long. Because I, I, I'm incredible. I think we're all incredibly jealous of your job, even though we know there's a lot of hard work that goes behind it. Thanks for being so generous with your time, and enjoy your weekend. Hey, thank you. Chris. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one yeah. yourself. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate Cheers that. It's uh, Chris Millen here on Repco Race Control. It's eight twenty-five.